Hello and welcome to H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike Begg. I'm a certified physician assistant, a certified athletic trainer. I have a doctorate degree in medical science and over 30 years of experience in sports medicine, orthopedics, and medical education. My goal is to take your orthopedic diagnosis or injury and help you make sense of it. Welcome to H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike Begg, and I'm your host today, with our topic being one of the top three uh, issues that I am asked to talk about on the uh, topics at uh, h2orthopedics.com email address and or the website where you can drop in your questions uh, or ideas for other topics. So it definitely meets the top three, and uh, it's unfortunate because this is a very common injury, which has a significant impact on people's lifestyle, but uh, happy to talk about it. This is going to have to be a two-part session, uh, two-part episode, uh, as there's just a ton to get through. So the ACL, that's our that's our topic today. An ACL injury, an anterior cruciate ligament injury is the topic. So in today's episode, we're going to go through the normal anatomy, the injured anatomy, the workup or the evaluation, and just touch on some, some basic ideas or concepts of treatment. And then in episode two, we'll go deeper into uh, this probably more of the surgical approach where we talk about graft options and uh, maybe a little bit into the surgical procedures. So if you happen to need an ACL reconstruction or a friend or family member is going through something like that, you understand a little bit more about what actually happens in the operating room and what it means for your recovery and maybe why there's some limitations uh, that you may have. There's so much to cover, and then we can keep going. There can be an ACL with an MCL, a medial collateral ligament injury. There can be an ACL with meniscus injury. There can be you know, all sorts of different things that can be in conjunction with an ACL. So I don't want to get too deep into the woods, so we're going to try to break this up into bite-sized pieces that make sense and that you can understand, because that's the goal of H2 Orthopedics. We want you to understand the problem or the issue injury that you have and be able to uh, take an educated decision uh, when uh, when considering treatment options. So here we go, the anterior cruciate ligament injury. So as per the format for H2 orthopedics, we're going to talk about normal anatomy. So the ACL lives in the knee. So let's talk about what the knee is made of. So coming in from the top is the femur. Coming in from the bottom is the tibia, your thigh bone and your your shin bone coming together to make the knee joint. In the front is the patella or the kneecap. And then way on the outside, uh, someone in the back is the fibula. It doesn't really play into this scenario today. So we'll talk about really the two joints or the two bones that make up the knee joint, the femur and the tibia uh, and the anterior cruciate ligament. So there are two cruciate ligaments, the anterior and the posterior cruciate ligaments. Think of a crucifix or a cross, and uh, that's the origin of their name. They cross in the center of the knee uh, and make make the knee stable in a couple different planes. The front-to-back plane, what we would call the anterior-posterior plane, and the rotational rotary plane. So when you plant your foot and you change directions, pivoting or twisting on your knee, the ACL helps keep keep that motion in check. So uh, the ACL is is a strong ligament. The anterior part of the anterior cruciate ligament just tells us where it attaches to the shin bone, the tibia. So it attaches in the on the tibia in the front, 
uh, somewhat towards the inside. If you if you were to look down your shin bone or, or divide the knee uh, to right and left halves, it's not quite in the middle. It's a little bit more towards the inside or the medial side on the front of your knee. And then it courses up right to the center of your knee. There's a little notch in there and it runs right through the center of that notch and attaches to the inside of that notch on the back outside. So what we call the posterior lateral wall of the notch. Uh, so those are the, that's the origin and insertion or the, the, the attachment points on the femur and the tibia. And uh, it's a strong ligament. There's really uh, kind of two bundles that make up the ACL. We don't need to get into that right now. We'll talk about it a little bit with the graft options and some history there. Uh, but just imagine a big cable or a band of ligament structure or ligament tissue that goes from the femur to the tibia, kind of at a diagonal pathway, uh, starting in the front on the tibia going through the center of the knee to the outside back of the femur. It's attached inside that notch, so it's not really on the outside of the bone. It's still somewhat in the center of the knee. And it gives the knee stability in that front back plane as well as the rotational plane. So you injure it by overdoing those things, those those you know, those activities that it helps resist. If you overdo one of those or you have excessive force, you know, a lot of force in a short period of time, uh, you can rupture that ligament. We'll go through that injury mechanism here in a little bit more detail. But uh, the posterior cruciate, just to be complete there, kind of crosses the opposite direction and they cross each other. So again, crucifix, they pass by one another. Uh, but the posterior cruciate attaches to the back of the tibia, the back of the shin bone, and comes more towards the front before it attaches to the uh, inside wall, that femoral notch. If you if you can imagine there's, a, there's an archway in the center of your knee on the femur and they, they kind of attached in the front and the back of that femoral arch. So it, it also helps in that front to back plane. The anterior cruciate keeps your shin bone from coming too far forward in relation to your femur bone, your thigh bone, and the posterior cruciate keeps it from going too far back or posterior in relation to your femur bone. So that comes into play when we talk about the examination. So you can imagine if you tear this big ligament, you will have some instability or a sense of instability in your knee. Oftentimes it gets better. So right out of the gates, you tear your ACL, you have instability symptoms. Uh, you have a lot of swelling, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but over time, let's give it two weeks, uh, a lot of patients will say, you know, it really was unstable to begin with. And I was, you know, I was really scared about this, but now it feels better. I feel I can trust it more, which is a great thing. doesn't mean it's healed. It doesn't mean it's better. It just means that some of the, you know, the inflammation and the injury effects have calmed down and your knee, uh, you know, is, is starting to substitute maybe even that, those roles and responsibilities of the ACL. So, uh, the, the typical scenario or story of the ACL injury is I hyperextended, went straighter than straight. I twisted my knee or I hyperflexed my knee sometimes, or the mechanism that seems to be the most common is you are plant, you're, let's say you're, you're running, you're skiing, something happens, your foot, it's somewhat fixed or stabilized. Your knee caves in towards the midline and your upper body goes to the outside. So there's kind of, and there's a bit of a rotation there. So there's, there's a combination of different forces that, that play in here, but that's typically the scenario when we break it down and really look at it biomechanically, how the ACL is torn. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot online. You can check that out. But um, when we describe that to patients, when they say that I'm playing basketball, playing soccer uh, or skiing, those type of activities, and we kind of say, does this what happened? They kind of say, oh, I think it was, I think it is. Yeah, that's exactly what happened now that you kind of bring it to my attention. Obviously, most of the time when you ask a patient how it happened, they're like, dude, I don't know. I just, I just hurt my knee. And then 
once you kind of educate them and say, you know, this is typically how they're torn, sometimes a little light bulb will go off and they understand. So anyway, the the mechanism is, um, doesn't have to be high energy. These are typically, you know, mid to, to high energy type of activities and typically non-contact. You think about the ACL, you think about a big injury to the knee. Typically there's no other person involved. It's a, it's more of an overstressed scenario uh, with the uh, forces being displaced in the, in the right, or you can say the wrong, uh, place on that ACL. And it just, it just gives, there's a failure point. The ACL, the way I describe it to patients, uh, and the way I understand the anatomy, which makes sense when we go to the next step in regarding the symptoms, picture the ACL like an electric you know, cord, an extension cord. So the wires inside that extension cord are really what cover the electricity and what would shock you if you were to reach down and grab it. But you're not shocked because it has that insulation, that plastic sheath around the cord and even around those individual wires inside of that, you know, cord that you can see. So picture that and then take that over to the ACL. The ACL fibers are inside, say, a sheath or they're they're kind of bound together with some tissue um, that holds them together and makes a nice solid structure. Uh, This gives it a little bit more, more strength. But when it ruptures, when you tear your ACL, you tear that sheath, and that sheath has a ton of blood vessels to it. When we're doing arthroscopy, for whatever reason, we're inside the knee, not because of a torn ACL, but for other issues, and we look at the ACL, there's a lot of blood vessels in that tissue that go around the fibers of the ACL, that sheath. So you can imagine if they tear, which will happen first, probably, I'm not sure exactly the, the order of events here, but... When that sheath tears along with those fibers of the ACL tearing, it bleeds like crazy inside your joint. So one of the symptoms that we hear or ask about is I had swelling in my joint, which we would term an effusion. So swelling inside isolated to the joint itself is called an effusion. Uh, But we have swelling inside the joint to a fairly significant degree within the first 12 to 24 hours. It's not a good sign. That means that there's a fair amount of bleeding or fluid being released, typically blood, inside the joint. And there's not too many structures inside the joint capsule other than the ACL and bones uh, that would give you that kind of kind of blood release or that kind of fluid release. It can happen in all other scenarios. Uh, you know, you can have it with an arthritic flare. You can have it with a big meniscus tear. But again, a large effusion or a, a large amount of swelling inside the joint in a relatively short period of time, 12 to 24 hours, is always something that raises a red flag for an ACL injury. So when the ACL tears, it can tear anywhere along the, the whole pathway from the femur up top, crossing through that intercondylar notch uh, down to the tibia where it inserts. It can tear anywhere along the, the that whole length of the ligament. Usually it tears midway or upward. So what we call a proximal tear towards the femur. If you're a younger patient, a younger athlete, you may have an avulsion where it actually the ligament stays intact, but you pull a piece of the bone away where it attaches. And that typically happens down on the tibia, on the, on the shin bone side of things, on the lower side of the, of the knee joint where that ligament attaches, you pull a piece of bone off with it, which again is another completely different story. We'll have another talk about that. Uh, these things just keep coming. The, the topics just keep rolling here. But, uh, but typically mid, mid-substance we call it, or proximal up towards the top is where this ligament will fail um, with athletic events, skiing, soccer, basketball, those type of, of activities. There is a small group of people who will actually tear it off, tear the, the ACL off the femoral attachment, off the top attachment, uh, which leads us to a treatment option of a repair sometimes. Again, I'll talk about that in the next episode, uh, but that's a, a unique scenario that should lead 
the patient in to get an evaluation sooner as opposed to later because there's a timeline on that treatment option if you fit the fairly strict criteria for that. Uh, but again, proximal uh, tears to about mid-substance, they can be partial thickness tears. Uh, you can tear one of the two bundles. You can tear both bundles. Um, typically, um, in just to kind of play in the odds of what's going to be, it's going to be a full thickness tear where the ligament sheath, the, the, the sheath around the ligaments and the ligaments themselves uh, fail. So that's, a, that's an ACL rupture of the pathologic anatomy. So normal anatomy to review, femur on top, tibia on the bottom, ACL, anterior cruciate attaches to the front of the tibia, runs at an angle upwards and towards the outside of your knee, but attaches to the inside of this intercondylar notch towards the back. The posterior cruciate runs the opposite direction. Name comes from cruciate, cruciate fix, cruciate, they cross in the center of the knee. The job of the ACL is to keep the shin bone, the tibia, from coming too far forward in reference to the femur. And we'll talk about an examination that does that. The posterior cruciate ligament does the opposite, keeps the shin bone from going too far back or posterior in reference to the femur. You can injure the ACL with hyperextension, hyperflexion, rotation, but usually it's that weight-bearing knee kind of caves into a knock-kneed position. So the knee comes across midline. The upper body is going to the outer outer side of that midline and maybe a real rotational component to it as well. Uh, that's how you injure the ACL. When it tears or injures, you tear the sheath, which means it's going to bleed a fair amount, and you tear the uh, ligaments themselves. Once they tear, there's what we call a pivot shift often where the top bone will rotate a little bit and then bang in or, or contact the tibia. Uh, and will create some bone bruising, which causes symptoms of pain or discomfort, usually in the back of the knee, but just generally my knee aches back on the outside of the knee. And then on MRI, we can see bone bruising, which is um, really a good, that's not a good sign, it's a, but it's a good indicator if you see it to look for an ACL injury, because typically those bone bruises are, are there when the ACL is torn. And so when I'm scrolling through an MRI, um, I kind of catch that brightness. That's what a bone bruise or contusion would look like on an MRI. I'll catch that brightness and I'll think, oh, there's got to be an ACL injury because there's there's very other or very few other uh, reasons to have this bone bruising on an MRI in that location on the on the femur and the tibia on the outside. It's also possible, like I said earlier, to have injury to the meniscus. You have excessive rotation with weight-bearing typically uh, that causes the ACL to fail. So you can pinch down on the meniscus cushion cartilage and injure that. You can tear the collateral ligaments, which are on the inside, the medial collateral, and the outside, the lateral or fibular collateral ligament. Those also could be injured. You could have a combination of all these things. Uh, there's, there's just so many things that can happen when you have that much energy going through the knee. Um, that I'll, I'll just say it happens, but I'll, I'd be willing to bet it's less than 50% where we have an isolated ACL injury. Oftentimes, uh, there's at least a grade one MCL, and then we worry about the meniscus as well. Not everybody, but that's, we see that combination frequently enough that I kind of suspect that there's going to be more than just an isolated ACL injury when I see, uh, or when I suspect that that's what's going on from a patient's history in my examination. So how would we work this up? So you've injured your knee, you're at soccer practice, you're at basketball practice, you're skiing, uh, you're out for a hike and you slip and you kind of have this uh, weird force go through your knee and now you have pain and instability. Uh, you don't trust your knee. They had that effusion, that swelling that came on relatively quickly, 12 to 24 hours. 
uh, you finally get in to see the athletic trainer or the PA or the nurse practitioner or your primary care doc, your orthopedic surgeon, whoever it is, what are they going to do to work up or evaluate your knee and ultimately come up with this diagnosis of an ACL injury? Well, the first thing they're going to do is ask you questions and you hopefully you can come in with a good history of this is what happened. Again, we don't expect you to give detail. We ask for detail. Uh, it's difficult for the patient to describe exactly what happened to my knee. Um, but the, the critical or the classical, that's what I'm trying to say, the classical sign is I heard or felt something pop or give in my knee when I injured it. And sometimes other people hear that same pop. It's kind of a, a unique scenario to go through as a patient. I have never torn my ACL, knock on wood, uh, but I've heard and talked to thousands of people who have, and they describe this this pop in my knee. And sometimes those who are on the basketball court with them or next to them can say, yeah, I heard it too. That's not a good thing, by the way. That's that ligament failing or potentially those two bones coming together when they, uh, when that pivot shifting mechanism happens. But anyway, that pop in the knee and then you follow up those symptoms. So we're going to ask questions. Come in, if you have this injury, come into the doctor's office prepared. You know, see, this is, I kind of, I thought back and this is what really happened. The big swelling in my knee happened pretty soon. Within the next day, I slept on it or I woke up the next morning and there it was. So that's important. That's, that's a good clue uh, to listen for, uh, for us to listen for and for you to share. I have instability. I don't trust my knee when I step down on it. It, it feels like it wants to go straighter than straight, like a newborn colt. That's what a lot of patients will, will describe. I just don't feel stable. I don't trust it. Um, and then uh, we'll go through an examination. <clears throat> so they'll look at your knee. There'll be a swelling or an infusion, depending on the timing. If you're two weeks into this, that swelling will have come down uh, and you're likely going to feel a little more stable. Um, the knee's going to calm down in general and some of the aches and pains that you have from the initial injury are going to get better. The swelling actually shuts down your quadricep muscle. Something called quadricep inhibition will shut down the functioning of that quadricep muscle. So when you're early on in this recovery and your leg does go straight, you know, the quads give support to the to the knee joint. Uh, when it's, when the capsule stretched out, the quads get a signal not to fire as well or, or as um, responsibly, and they, they tend to give up. Uh, and then you have instability. When you're two weeks into this, the swelling goes down. That comes back at least to a certain degree. So the, the exam will look at just the amount of swelling. Um, we'll look at your range of motion. How far can you straighten and bend your knee? Uh, oftentimes, after things calm down, you have a reasonable range of motion, uh, but we'll see if there's some limitations there. Um, we'll push and pull on the joint so we can feel the ligaments doing what they're supposed to do. You have a ligaments attached, both top and bottom. When we tug on it, when we do a special test on it, it will stop the motion. When the ligament is torn somewhere along the way, and doesn't necessarily make a difference where it is, then your motion will be increased and the endpoint to your testing will be soft. So our normal ligament has a firm endpoint with normal translation terms we use are opening of the joint space. If we're talking about the collateral ligaments, uh, but it'll have a firm endpoint. We're feeling for the endpoint, and I can, I can, you can tell pretty easily. And I'll, I'll do an exam on the good knee first. I'll go to the bad knee or the injured knee second, and I'll feel the difference. Then I'll go back to the good knee and I'll describe to the patient, okay, I'm going to pull on your, I'm going to stabilize your femur. I'm going to hold your thigh bone solid, and I'm going to pull forward or towards the ceiling if you're laying on your back on your tibia. And what I want to feel is this nice firm endpoint. As long as the hamstrings, the back of the muscle or back of the leg muscles are relaxed, I can pull on the on that shin bone towards the ceiling. 
it moves a little bit and then bang, 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 bang. It's solid because that ACL is stopping more motion. It's intact on the good knee. Then I'll go to the other knee, the injured knee and do the same thing. Again, make sure the patient's hamstrings are relaxed, grab onto that femur, that top bone, kind of hold it stable and then pull forward with that uh, on the tibia, the shin bone. And before I really have to say anything, the patient's like, oh, I feel a difference there. It's it's a soft endpoint, and it feels like maybe that tibia or that shin bone is moving further. That's a positive exam for an ACL injury. So that's what the doc's going to do. They're going to look at your other ligaments, your collateral ligaments. They're going to poke and prod on your meniscus. They're going to do different things. You might have some tenderness on the outside of your knee where those bone bruises occurred. So that's that's pretty common. X-rays will be taken to make sure you didn't fracture something. You can have fractures to the top of the tibia, what we call the tibial plateau. And oftentimes we'll see that on an MRI. There'll be a report from the radiologist that says there's uh, a non-displaced or minimally displaced or maybe significantly displaced, but a fracture to the tibial plateau. Sometimes it's just a, a contusion or a bruise that they call a trabecular fracture, fancy term for a deep bruise. And, and it truly is kind of a breakdown of the, of the bone tissue. Um, it's not necessarily a break that needs to be addressed surgically or really with anything other than just keeping an eye on it because it will heal. Um, but it's, it's oftentimes found uh, on the MRI. We won't necessarily see it on an x-ray very often, but we'll see it on an MRI. So we'll get MRI or excuse me, we'll get x-rays first, look at the bones. Hopefully things are looking pretty good. Nothing obviously broken. And then an MRI is indicated to look at the ligament structures. You can't see the ligaments on x-ray, so you need an MRI to get uh, the perfect view of those. With the MRI, we can look at the meniscus, we can look at the collateral ligaments, we can look at your tendons, we can do, look at everything else, uh, and we can see what's going on with the ACL, the ACL, the PCL, all those ligaments inside the joint. If it's torn, then we'll talk about what we need to do to fix it. But I'll just say that this is a very common injury, and um, the workup is fairly straightforward. The history is key. What you tell us happened and again, the swelling, the instability, those type of sim the symptoms are good to share because it definitely helps clarify what, to, what direction we're going with this. X-rays are typically normal. We talked about that tibial spine avulsion where typically in a younger, skeletally immature, so the patient hasn't reached skeletal maturity yet. So a teenager, you know, see up to uh, 16, 17, 18, somewhere in that range or younger, uh, they may you know, that ligament may be stronger than the actual bone attachment. So you can pull a piece of bone off rather than injuring the ligament. That's uh, called an avulsion. We can see that on x-ray. Uh, oftentimes if it's displaced, we'll, off, we'll back it up by getting an MRI, but we can see that avulsion. So that may be a, a unique scenario for the younger population. But if you're, let's say 20 or older, uh, and you have those symptoms of instability, fairly quick onset of, of uh, swelling or effusion in the knee, and uh, you heard or felt that pop in the joint, uh, that's a that's a concern for an ACL, not a guarantee, but a concern for an ACL injury. And we'll go through that workup process we just talked about. All right. So the next steps would typically be talking about uh, treatment options. I'm going to save that for part two of this podcast because we can go through all sorts of different things, uh, graft choices, um, you know, when should you have surgery? Should you have it early? Should you have it late? What if there's meniscus injury with it? What if there's an MCL injury with it? So we'll go through all those details uh, in the next, uh, the second part of this. Uh, but I just wanted to cover the, the basics for an ACL injury. So again, the ACL is a large ligament, runs to the center of the knee, helps you with stability in the front to back and the rotational directions um, of the joint. Uh, when you injure it, you typically have uh, 
a sensation of something popping or giving way. And sometimes it's audible. People can hear it. You can hear it. Uh, and then you have a relatively quick onset of swelling or an effusion in your knee within 12 to 24 hours, which typically goes away in the first next two weeks or so. And then you have that instability worse early on, may get better as time goes by. Uh, you just you feel like your knee goes straighter than straight. It gives way. You don't trust it. Uh, those are the signs and symptoms that we hear in the office. Workup is an examination, tugging on the ligaments, checking your range of motion, checking for other injuries, x-rays, which are typically negative, except for in that younger population where you can have an avulsion, leading to an MRI, which clarifies our diagnosis. And then we talk about treatment options. So there it is. We'll talk about the rest in part number two. I hope this clarifies uh, potentially what may be going on with you and or your loved one or your friend or family with an ACL injury. It's a very common injury. It's something that's treated successfully all the time. So um, even though there's some work to be done and, and it's not what you want to hear, it's often uh, the case in a lot of athletes. So let's talk about the recovery and treatment options next time until we talk again. Stay active, stay healthy, and do your best to put a smile on someone else's face. Take care. Hey, it's Mike here. I hope this episode is helping you out and answering some questions. If I'm not hitting every topic right on for you, if there's something specific that you have about your injury or you want to discuss unique findings on the exam or your history, your MRI, your x-rays, whatever it might be, head to our website at h2orthopedics.com and scroll to the bottom for an opportunity to sign up for a virtual visit where we can either have a Zoom call, we can do a telephone call, whatever it might be, and we can discuss the specifics of your injury in more detail and hopefully get the answers you're looking for. Again, that's h2orthopedics.com. Scroll to the bottom for the virtual visit, and I will talk to you next time.